everyone uh, welcome to adventure in angular on this episode we have jessica who is from angular team itself and today we have arman so jessica just let let us know why you are famous what you do in google and what i think you you breathe angular you you do angular always you know deep inside so can you just tell about yourself so our listener will be pretty happy to know about you sure um hi my name is jessica um my last name is pronounced janik everyone gets it wrong um we probably uh pronounce it wrong ourselves because pretty sure it's like a polish name that would be pronounced very different in poland Anyway, uh, yes, I, I'm a senior software engineer on the Angular framework team at Google. I've uh, been working on that team for like two and a half years, getting closer to three years. Um, I've been an engineer for close to 15 years, uh, mostly working in the front end, front end space. Um, I don't know that I would say I'm famous, maybe infamous. I don't know. Um, I am fairly well known for uh, my puns uh, when I am present on live streams for Angular. Um, some people are aware of my hobbies, like I build robots um, for fun. Um, yeah, and otherwise, yeah, I work on I work on Angular. I know it reasonably well. There's a lot uh, that I don't know. I'm constantly learning. Um, Turns out that like when you build a framework, um, you don't necessarily use the framework. So uh, we have different insights as framework engineers than uh, our uh, framework users do. Uh, and sometimes we don't necessarily know all the patterns in which people use. Um, so that's an interesting nuance of being a framework engineer. Yeah, I, I guess that's uh, that's me and what I'm known for. You may have seen me on some of the Angular YouTube videos. I do those on occasion. Um, and I do talks at a lot of different events. So uh, you, you may also see me um, see me at, at those types of things. So prior to Google, I actually ran a, a, a Google developer group, um, which if you're unfamiliar, it's Google has this whole uh, program for people to run community programs uh, and you can volunteer and run a group for your region. And uh, it was very rewarding, got me connected with a lot of really cool people. So um, I've done community organizing and worked for things like startups uh, and other you know, non-tech industry uh, companies well before I joined Google. And yeah, um, that's a bit about me. Yeah, and I guess people can also Google you to know about you, and you you are pretty famous. So, uh, apart from that, like as Angular sixteen just released, I'm I see you have worked on that. So, in which area you have contributed the most for Angular sixteen, and can we have just put some lights on that? Sure. So yeah, Angular v16 released exactly a week ago. Today's May 10th. So what was you know uh, May 3rd? I think was when when we actually launched uh, v16 officially. And 
as part of that release, I worked primarily on the um, server-side rendering improvements that uh, we have been slowly kind of trying to bring more focus on um, over the last year. Uh, specifically, I worked on hydration and the hydration mm-hmm. improvements. Uh, essentially, prior to V16, we really didn't have a good hydration story on Angular, um, and we'd gotten requests. Um, there's actually there was an open issue, and still is an open issue, asking for better hydration or hydration of some sort. Um, the issue that's out there specifically talks about partial hydration. Um, but before we could get to partial hydration, we needed to get to real full app hydration. And um, I guess I should probably back up and say, if you're unaware of what hydration is, um, when you do server-side rendering of any client-side application, regardless of framework, you have a you, you have a request that goes out to the server. The server does its own rendering, serializes all of the HTML that's generated passes that down to your browser so you get that like fast initial rendering. But once that um, once that HTML is actually in the um, in your browser and rendered in your browser, there is a process by which um, the framework, whatever it is that you are using, now has to download and initialize. And when it does that, it needs to kind of reconnect with all the DOM that has been generated by the server. Um, and that is the process by which we call hydration. Um, it kind of hydrates your um, framework into the existing the existing DOM structures. Otherwise, what ends up happening, which is what Angular used to do, it would essentially wipe everything that was there. So you'd get the you'd get the DOM, and then Angular would download, and then it would destroy everything, and then re-render everything as the application initialized. So now, as part of our developer preview in V16, it doesn't do that if you enable it. It will kind of hook itself up into the DOM and just continue on. Um, and that that's, that's huge because it, it offers a lot of... Um, benefits to things like core web vitals when you are trying to get better SEO um, performance. There was a known issue with flickering that people would have before because of that destruction. So like your DOM would be there and you'd see kind of a flash as it destroyed and repainted everything. Um, That's no longer a concern. And so now um, it is overall a faster initial experience that people get with server-side rendering when they have hydration enabled. So that's primarily what I worked on. Um, There's a lot of details I could go into on kind of how it functions. um, And I could talk quite a bit more about like where we're going to go with it. Um, But yeah, that's currently um, in developer preview and people can choose to opt in if they'd like. Yeah, one question coming to my mind when I heard like the change of way yeah, angular hydrate before and now i think you must have monitored the how much what the percentage of speed or how, how much performance it will gain after you hydrate for a basic app so have any st- uh, statistics on that it's going to depend on a lot of things we've seen we've seen some apps that we've used that are even very optimized 
that mm-hmm. have seen like uh, like a, a like a fifty percent almost increase, uh, or should I should I say decrease in time? Um, better overall, fifty yeah. percent mm-hmm. uh, improvement in uh, a number of the core web vital statistics across the board. About the only thing we don't see much improvement on is uh, total blocking time, TBT. Um, and we're looking at ways that we can improve that. But like your um, your LCP um, stats, uh, we've seen some pretty significant improvements there with almost a 50% improvement. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, it just renders sooner and doesn't get destroyed and recreated. So mm-hmm. um, it can be picked up by Core Web Vitals as a more consistent entity. You don't see the like um, repaint um, that happens with uh, the previous destructive version. Um, but depending on how optimized your app is, how much DOM your app has, so if you've got a huge amount of DOM, um, how you've optimized it or where your bottlenecks are, it's possible you may not see a huge jump in performance because the bottlenecks were not hydration related. The bottlenecks are elsewhere. So, um, and we have seen cases of that too, where kind of roughly the same because of the the way that the app is architected. So we're looking at ways we can make recommendations for good patterns that people can follow uh, with the app structure and how they can um, get better core web vitals in a hydrated world. Um, so if like people are, building giant components um, like that have like hundreds of lines of templates in them, it's probably not going to be as well optimized as maybe some others, uh, some other approaches might be. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially because the hydration process requires that we annotate um, all the elements that are there. Um, so the hydration process essentially when the server is rendering before hydration with hydration enabled it actually has to like look through the dom and see what's there and generate special data annotations that are loaded into our uh transfer state object um and that um that set of annotations are used to um to do that kind of rehooking up process that happens when hydration occurs and if you've got a ton of DOM, there's a lot of annotation data. So um, I think there's kind of sometimes a, a balancing process. And you, you probably, uh, if you can simplify your components, shrink them down in how much uh, is in the templates, you'll probably have a better experience with, with the hydration. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mention uh we talked about what hydration is in general um so what's the like main difference between just hydration and partial hydration that is a very good question um and the definition of like partial hydration versus progressive hydration versus um, like what people call islands. They're all slightly different depending on which definition you look at. The way that we are approaching 
sort of partial hydration is being able to leave certain portions of your uh, application dehydrated until you choose to have them hydrate. So that might be something like, let's say you've got a bunch of com- uh, components that are rendered below the fold. Uh, they're not visible in your viewport yet. Um, potentially, we would have a way for you to say, hey, render this on the server, but don't hydrate it until we've gotten it into the viewport. Um, or um, like maybe don't hydrate until there's um, an interaction that ha- occurs, like if someone masses over it or um, some, something to that regard. That's kind of how we're viewing partial hydration because right now when hydration occurs, it just it hydrates the whole application yeah. like eagerly as soon as it, you, you load the application. But f- for us, it's more like a deferred um, concept for partial where it'll still do that for like most of the application, but you'd be able to specify which ones you wanted to be deferred. And along with that might come some lazy loading of the component itself because it doesn't really make sense to leave something uh, dehydrated if you don't defer the loading of its code as well. Because if you're trying to save on like um, bundle size, you don't really save on bundle size if you just defer the hydration of it. You kind of have to have, um, you have to have both together. Uh, I see. Uh, so essentially, if I get it correctly, uh, there is a way that when we enable this partial hydration, that uh, Angular uh, running on the server will decide which parts to sort of send at the, at the particular moment. Uh, I'm maybe using not very good words here, but I'm trying to get the general idea. I'm not really used to server-side rendering. We are in enterprise. No one cares about like core web vitals or whatever. I know about it. I tried it out once or twice, I think, but nothing really serious. So what my question was really about is, uh, so now sort of Angular does use some strategy to decide what to hydrate, dehydrate, and so on. Um, Are there ways of like hooking into that process because I have seen from the, I think the official blog post of V16 that it's fairly easy to enable hydration. Uh, are there more customizations that are available? Like, like, like for example, as we have preloading strategy for lazy loaded modules, is there some sort of customization that? the developers can do on hydration side of things or uh, it all boils down to which modules are lazy loaded, which are not lazy loaded? Well, I should I should clarify that right now, all that lazy loaded behavior stuff is future, uh, yeah. like oh. conceptual. We're, we're not to the point where we can like do that lazy loading yet. We're, we're thinking about it. That's kind of like exploration work mm-hmm. we're looking at doing over the next six six months or more. Um, what we're looking at right now with what's available currently with the non-destructive um, hydration is it's full app. It just hydrates the whole application. So 
So there's no like deferred hydration at the moment. Um, the only real lazy loaded behavior is essentially what was previously existing with, um, you can do it on a per route basis. So if you've got route navigation and you've got a lazy, like you're, you're doing like a dynamic import on a component that is a route that, that will like not eagerly, um, cause a problem. It'll still get hydrated as soon as it's like loaded. We've been able to remove the need for, um, enabled blocking when you're doing server-side rendering. Um, and um, that's a, a huge improvement um, for people who um, were using it before, which was a, a flag that basically said, hey, you know, if you're doing server-side rendering, block everything until um, we tell you it's, a, it's kind of okay. Um, but now we've got more signals for um, when it's okay to actually do all of that work. So it's not needed anymore. Um, so, um, yeah, and I know it's, it's not as common in enterprise, but we do, we, we do think it's probably going to become more common. Um, uh, and we definitely know there's been an ask. It's actually like hydration and server-side rendering performance has been one of the top, if not the top ask, uh, for Angular improvements for a while now. So, um, we, we're actually quite excited to be able to put some time into doing this this work. So um, now to get to your question about customization at the moment, there really isn't much, much that you can do. There's a little bit with the configuration. So when you enable hydration, um, you're actually enabling a set of features, which includes the DOM reuse strategy and um, also the HTTP uh, cache, which is um, something that uh, we didn't have natively um, before. So the HTTP cache gives you um, essentially the ability to um, you know, reuse the, the the data in a. So we offered transfer state before, where so if you made an HTTP client request on the server, that data would be thrown into the transfer state, and when you got to the client, you would pull. Uh, the data through the transfer state rather than making another request. Um, but now it actually preloads a cache as well. So that data is cached for that request. And um, that also saves on you know, uh, having to make more requests in the future. So those both are enabled when you enable hydration. The only customization you have now is you can potentially turn one or both of those off um, if you would like to. So there's um, like with no DOM reuse or with no HTTP uh, cache. Mm. Uh, we have been asked for um, some additional options in those configs and we'll probably uh, be adding some of those. And we'll look at additional customizations down, down the road. Um, but for right now, it's it, since it's developer preview, we're still kind of working through the issues that come up and like we'll see what we end up deciding on doing as far as uh, when we stabilize the, the APIs as uh, likely part of V17, we'll end up removing the developer preview. But that's another six months from now. So who knows what might come up in that time. This all sounds like a pretty huge uh, performance improvement. Server side rendering. 
you think Angular is going to become more popular with uh, less enterprisey projects and uh, companies? We think it probably will. I think enterprise is still going to be our main use case, but uh, we have a lot happening in Angular right now with uh, the announcement of signals as our um, kind of our reactivity primitive that we're starting to write into the framework. Um, and we're looking at our change detection. We're trying to head towards uh, the end ending, or I should, that's probably not the right way of phrasing it, but like not requiring zones anymore, if you're familiar with zone.js. Um, so we are looking potentially to a zoneless future. Um, and that's really exciting. It's, it's, these are a lot of things that people have asked for. Um, it's been really heartening to see how excited people are about the direction that Angular is heading. There's a lot of buzz about what we're doing right now. Um, I think if you had talked to people around our V12 release or V11 release, there was a lot of negativity um, and commentary that wasn't super positive about the future of Angular. But now people are saying, oh, it's an Angular renaissance and there's a lot of excitement. And we're quite, we're quite proud of that. We really are. Apart from those two big changes, what do you think is like exciting about other stuff that is getting released? I don't know, maybe required inputs, for example, or smaller changes? Uh, yeah, like required inputs is something that people have asked for for a long time. Um, and I think what what I love is the, like between that, between like migrations or things that were added like as a one-off, like, oh, I'm just going to do this minor little improvement that ends up becoming a huge thing. Like, for example, I don't remember if it was V15 or V14, Alex Rickabaugh added a, a quick little PR that was like, oh, we'll just expose this inject function so that it does more than it did before. And it wasn't really thought of as like a big deal when when he he uh, he put that PR out. It was just like, oh, I'm just going to make this perform more consistently. And, and then suddenly the, uh, the internet blew up about how, check out this incredible inject function and how it's changing everything. And uh, we were like, oh, uh, okay, great. Yeah, we're, gl we're glad you like it. So uh, I, I love these little quality of life improvements, especially when uh, they are like unplanned as being much of a big deal. Additionally, um, we've had a couple of new contributors um, like pop into the repo and start like making some really substantive commits and changes and, and um, that's been really exciting to see as well because it's not just driven by us since it's, it's open source. You know, we as a framework team, of course, do Angular as our full-time job, but like we do really rely on community people to come in and, and make, make real big uh, contributions, uh, even like, big and small. Sometimes people come in and just like fix a spelling error and other times people come in and like, make some huge like type safety change that touches like 50 files and requires a whole bunch of review time. So but we, we love it. We appreciate it. And 
I think that's the thing that is the most exciting for for me is to see um at least when it comes to these like smaller smaller things is seeing the engagement from from the community and the efforts that they put in to to make things better so that yeah I think that's the way I would <laughs> the way I would look at it and as you were discussing about the uh, big things I think if I remember on uh, the uh, when IV came it was a it was a big thing that okay now angular bundle size will be less and then uh, then i think i heard a buzz about when everyone start talk, talking about signals and slowly i think angular also going as a standalone component now uh, mm-hmm. we can get rid of jones a lot of things is happening and it's it's good for us like uh, to be honest uh, I, when I was last 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 to last year, when I interviewing for for new jobs, everyone is saying that we are in Angular, we might get to React or uh, or or will a uh, lot of jobs are coming with React. But nowadays, people are thinking of uh, again re remigrate back to Angular if it is possible because of the functionality or the uh, the power Angular gives. Uh, for enterprise or for for a big applications. Yeah, I mean we we we've always had a strong foothold for for enterprise users. I think primarily because we have this whole concept of like backwards compatibility and like taking people with us as we move forward with all of the like ng update stuff. Um, so it should be much easier to migrate to new stuff. Uh, and I think the fact that we publish our roadmap and that um, we pride ourselves of like, you know, being really stable. And part of the reason that we're as stable as we are is because um, we essentially can rely on all of Google to like uh, test for us before it hits major releases um, because uh, Angular is used pretty significantly within Google. Um, and we've got just about every possible use case you can think of inside Google. So when when we make changes, it's pretty strongly validated already before we hit major releases. So we have this like quality and reliability that is, um, I think a, a lot of um, a lot of like enterprise folks benefit from that reliability that we get from that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's exciting to hear that people are still thinking of, of Angular. We've been around like longer than most frameworks, and um, you know we're we're still trying to um, you know be as influential as we always have in this this space. But we do recognize that uh, people pick other frameworks, and they have lots of reasons they might do that and like it may be a surprise for uh people to hear that like that's perfectly okay with us we're not like uh everybody should use angular like we we we're great like we're great with people using other frameworks too like we we actually talk with all these other framework um like creators like pretty regularly um, very regularly. In fact, like I know um, Alex and Pavel from our team was on 
um, the um, uh, like Ryan Carniato, if you're familiar with Solid, he's yeah. he's kind of like a a big name in the, the framework space. He had a Twitter space, and like Alex and Pavel were in on that Twitter space, so like they're talking a lot. I've been on panels with other framework creators before. Um, it's like we're not interested in like the framework wars. We're interested in moving the whole of the like framework space forward and being more collaborative. So um, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, <laughs> use what you're most comfortable with. We're thrilled when you use Angular and we're going to continue to be there and try to be as be the best framework we can and try to give you the, the best features we can, especially um, since Ivy, I guess. Um, I know there was a lot of perception before and during the whole Ivy work that Angular was kind of stagnant, and a lot of it had to just do with the fact that Ivy was massive. And so we had all these promises of like, oh, Ivy will enable X, Y, or Z. And that's why we're doing Ivy right now, even though it's like a... a rendering engine replacement so it doesn't really give you any new functionality but it's better we promise we promise it'll it'll be better for you so uh it wasn't until all the massive effort that it took to get ivy to be um the default uh, everywhere that we were able to actually really start to move um forward on all the features that people have been asking for and that's why since like version 14, 13 and 14, you've been seeing bigger and bigger and bigger releases from Angular because we no longer have to worry about Ivy and we can actually start delivering on all of these like promises from earlier. So, yeah. Yeah, I would like to ask, I think a lot of people might might have this question. It, it sounds little funny but uh, when I was like started Angular I just thought of like is Google inside Google you guys are using a different kind of Angular and you have a lot of feature then then it got released and you st- uh, do you guys like do Google uh, limit the feature to the public and use a lot of feature as a internal stuff or it's all public always it's, uh, I mean, it is the same. You, you do not, you do not see a different version of Angular internally versus externally. Um, so, uh, I mean, there's, there's different infra inside Google. So the experience might be slightly different, but other, otherwise it's still the same. It's still the same framework internally versus externally. It's not really anything different. There are other internal frameworks that are used. Um, but, um, the Angular experience isn't vastly different. Um, we, we certainly don't like have special, uh, like framework features hidden behind some magic wall. Um, so, uh, and, and what's, what, what's fascinating, I think probably to a lot of people is that unlike externally where we, we do like patch releases every week, we do majors every six months, we do minors a couple of times between all of that. Um, Inside Google, um, most of the 
changes that are made, like once we merge them into the GitHub repo, they're like, that's what people use inside Google, like right away. So um, we necessarily can't have a change that breaks anyone. Mm-hmm. So we have to be even more cautious about the work that we do and the work that we land in the GitHub repository because of that. Yeah. Uh, as you told about, you guys are talking with the external framework API. So have you also got a chance to ch- talk with analog because as you are talking with about SSR? So anything analog is a starting framework for like Next.js for Angular? Yeah, analog's a, a, a meta framework, um, yep. and yeah, we we are aware, uh, and we we know we know um, we know him pretty well, the creator of, mm-hmm. of analog. Um, we'll probably see him next month at ng-conf. Um, uh, he was on our uh, like he was in the comments pretty heavily last week during our launch live stream for V sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we're in communication with them. We actually aren't like most of us actually haven't played with it. Uh, we probably will uh, in the the coming um, probably couple of months. But um, yeah, we're we're familiar with with analog, and we're thrilled that um, that it exists. So analog insights use Angular in Universal, or it's a different kind of framework. That I, I don't think it. I'm actually not sure. I haven't actually looked at the ins and outs of analog and mm-hmm. how it works. I know it's it's using some different infra. Like I think it's using file based routing as opposed to the typical Angular router. Mm-hmm. Um, so it probably has its own server setup so it's probably not using universal per se but it is likely well it has to be using like the uh, platform server package within um, the angular framework which is essentially our abstraction for a lot of our server-based apis Um, universal is most of the like server-based stuff but it works in conjunction with the APIs that we actually have within the framework. So we have like platform browser, platform server, and platform server handles like the things like transfer state and like the server-side DOM emulation library that we have is all integrated within platform server. So um, the actual rendering behaviors comes out of platform server uh, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, it's not housed in universal. So people can use actually completely separate um, from universal server infrastructure if they want to and still still get server-side rendering working. It just so happens that universal is probably the easiest way forward for getting started with it, unless you're already using analog. So so my guess is like he's got a bunch of stuff set up that's unique to uh, analog. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I think I was uh, thinking when while we were discussing about the um, hydration, I, I had a question in my mind was, so according to you, what should be the best approach? Suppose you have a page, so we should hide it only those components which are on the viewport and then load it later uh, once it get to the client side or we should hide it the whole page 
then load it uh, like that that load it in the in the client well for right now um there is only one option there is hydrate the whole page we don't actually have anything for deferring um deferring hydration on individual components or portions of your page yet that's all future like exploration work and we're we're hoping to have something experimentally a little bit later this year but we've got a lot of work to do there um so um the answer is for right now um if you use hydration as as it is in developer preview you're just going to get full app hydration so whether it's below the fold or not it's going to get hydrated um there are some limitations i shouldn't say limitations it's caveats really um so Prior to this, uh, Angular and on the universal side, when we do server-side rendering, it's been very permissive as far as um, DOM manipulation. So if you've got a component and uh, the Angular APIs maybe are limiting you on what you want to do for a specific component, and then you decide you want to use an element ref to get access to your, your DOM element, and you decide you want to like detach a DOM uh, node or create a new DOM node and append it somewhere using like, you know, uh, document.createElement or uh, document.appendChild or, you know, like insert before, something like that. Um, That was fine on server-side rendering before hydration because we have this DOM emulation library that allows you to do that kind of thing. However, with hydration, there's a problem because uh, hydration relies on the uh, the APIs of Angular, the creation um, and update APIs of the Angular framework. So if those elements are not created using framework APIs and they're moved around on the page, when the server annotates what's there and hydration happens, there's like suddenly new DOM nodes where it wasn't expecting. And it's actually going to cause hydration problems. It's going to break your hydration. So um, along with hydration, and you'll see this in the hydration guide that's available on Angular.io, these are patterns that we want people to start avoiding. Um, there is an opt-out mechanism for components. So if you need to do that kind of manipulation, you can add this ng-skip hydration to the like host bindings or as part of the root of the component. And it'll revert that component back to its previous non-hydration behavior where it gets destroyed and recreated. And essentially that allows it to move forward, but you don't get the benefits of hydration for that component. Um, so, uh, and we're, we're looking towards a future where maybe DOM emulation on the server is not a thing anymore with Angular because turns out we're the only framework that does that. Like it used to be common, but zero other web frameworks right now use a server-side DOM emulation library. Um, what you see in things like React and Vue and Svelte is um, they disallow um, the sort of DOM manipulation cases like that, it's considered, especially in the server-side and hydration case, uh, as a bug. Like If you do that kind of manipulation and you get that error, 
The framework will try to recover, but it is a bug. You're, you're told in their documentation that it should be addressed. You need to fix that. So you shouldn't be doing that in your, their code. Uh, and in the React case, they don't actually fire off their lifecycles uh, hooks on the server at all. So um, we're looking at what we can do to essentially end the need for DOM emulation on the server mm -hmm. and how we can approach patterns better in this case. Um, so along with that may come like new lifecycle hooks for us or maybe some aspect of signals uh, render effects we'll, we'll consider for, for signals-based components that allows you to only do DOM manipulation like that on the client after hydration is completed. So um, that's one of the biggest caveats of hydration in general. But it shouldn't be surprising to people who have worked with other frameworks or have done server-side rendering and hydration with other frameworks because it's essentially this, a standard practice uh, everywhere else. Yeah. Is don't do a DOM manipulation on the server. I wanted to ask about, so we touched uh, a bit about Angular source code and everything. So I'm not really that big of an open source contributor. I've contributed documentation to NGRX, I think, quite a bit, but not really uh, writing code and stuff. But I like reading code. And uh, I've read lots of different stuff inside the Angular repositories. And that helped me quite a lot during development and understanding some less known features. Sometimes you see something in the source code and say, oh, I didn't know this could do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was thinking about writing a series of articles exploring different uh, different features of Angular, but from the source code perspective, like how it works under the hood, like the exact code. I came up with some stuff about, for example, the NGIF directive or the async pipe, some very popular things that are more or less easily accessible for people who want to try to understand how it works under the hood. Uh, but you obviously know more about Angular source code. So what are some other parts that like newcomers to source code could read and try to make sense of it? What are some rules about uh, navigating through the whole thing? That's a really good question. And it's actually uh, something that a lot of newcomers to the Angular team itself struggle with because it's complex and um, it's been deeply optimized in ways that can be kind of hard to follow. Um, I can tell you from personal experience, several of us on the framework team when we joined, we looked through the code base and went, what the heck is an L view? Um, what's an L view? Why is, there, why is there a T view and an R? What are these R structures? Um, like, is it a left view and a right view? What, um, what do these mean? Why are they arrays? Um, and, um, the answer is no, it's not left view and right view. It's uh, logical view and render view, but it's unclear that that's what they are when you first look at it. So, um, it can be a little daunting looking through what's there and, and being like, I, I don't understand. Uh, anything that I'm seeing here. Um, but 
Uh, in a number of cases, it's actually pretty well documented. So definitely read all the comments if you're going to look through it. If you want to be a contributor, we suggest looking through the issues and finding something that says something like good first issue or help on it. Those are great places to start because they're going to be less complicated than some of the other big issues. I wouldn't suggest uh, looking at some of the big long-standing issues that have been open for, you know, five years. Because the reason that they're still open after all that time is because they're deeply complicated and will require a lot of work. So that's probably going to be too much. But some of these great first issues are, are a perfect place to start. There's nothing wrong with starting with documentation as a way to understand how to contribute. So we recommend that as a like a good understanding the contribution process because we have our own processes for like here's how you structure your commits. Here's um, uh, like you need to go sign the Google CLA. You need to like do X, Y, or Z, and a simple uh, commit using using like some documentation is a great way to clear that hurdle because um, it's not a big hurdle, but it can be a little confusing. Like we follow a rebase pattern. So we'll see people will make a commit and then they'll be like, oh, I'm behind um, head. So I'll like merge main into my branch, but they don't realize that shows a new merge commit in their, their pull request. And that's um, not the thing we want to see. So they're going to end up getting a comment from us saying, hey, could you rebase on main? Could you fetch and rebase on main? And then people have a hard time with like, oh, well, I don't know how to push these changes now. Um, so they'll end up closing their PR, creating a new one. Uh, so it's a, a big rigmarole. So starting with something small to get your first PR in uh, and getting over those hurdles to understand the process is a good recommendation. Then jumping into like good first issues for actually digging through the code. Take something small and take it centralized into one specific area um, and <laughs> write tests. Please write tests. If you want it to land, um, make sure you've got some, some unit tests or an integration test um, because you're probably going to get asked for it if you don't have it there. Um, we really strongly rely on it. Um, we probably won't accept a contribution that doesn't have some sort of test verification in place. So that's a strong recommendation. Um, and I guess the, the other thing I would say is if you're confused about something, there is uh, there are places you can ask. There's people you can reach out to. So don't feel like you have to like struggle through it, um, trying to understand it, getting confused. Just like post post a question. Like there's a there's a Slack uh, we have for some contributors. That's a place you can go. There's our our Discord is is perfect for asking questions like that. Highly recommend joining the Discord if you're going to do contributions and want to get clarification on how certain things work. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, that was, that was really good advice. Uh, I remember I had to commit some, well, was something to the Angular code base. I, I needed to add myself to the Angular GD list. 
And it was harder than, than I thought because uh, I had some issue with the Google CLA and now and I, and I forgot about it because it was like two years ago. And now when you said Google CLA, I was thinking, what is Google CLA? It sounds so familiar. And then I remembered that I, for whatever reason, I don't seem to recall, but I, I couldn't get it, get it to work. Yeah, the CLA can be a, a, a difficulty that some people encounter. It should, as long as your email on GitHub is consistent with the one you sign the CLA with, it should be fine. Um, we have had rare occasion where the bot isn't functioning properly, but usually um, we can check to see if you've signed it and resolve it. Um, but essentially, if you're curious what the CLA is, uh, it's it's essentially uh, a license agreement that Google requires to let to that you sign if you want to be a contributor that basically says, you know, um, this contribution will be um, essentially added to this open source repo. The license is with um, how Google has licensed it and we're safe to be used in Angular that you don't like try to claim ownership of it um, because it's open source and um, uh, it's just a requirement that we have, but it's not like it's a big barrier. You just have to go click a couple of links. Um, but it can be confusing. Uh, I would say also, um, when you make changes, some people don't realize this, but at the bottom of your PR, you'll see uh, a list of statuses. And um, you may see like the red X, but you'll go down and look at the statuses and you'll be like, I don't see what's broken. There's, a, there's an inner scroll. Um, so scroll down in that like list of, of statuses and you'll see what's broken and you should be able to click through and see the details. Um, it's a UX thing about GitHub that uh, isn't necessarily the most transparent or maybe it's too transparent because people can't see it. Um, but uh, yeah, that is a, another point where people like, oh, it doesn't show that our, my tests are failing. Well, it does. You just can't see them because you haven't scrolled down. Um, so yeah, that, that can be a, a stopping block for some people. Uh, one has to really appreciate how organized the code base is with all those processes and checks in place because managing that large of a repository with so many packages, dependencies and tests and everything. Yeah. I can only imagine that being really hard. So yeah, yeah it's, it's it really is. good. Yeah, it's, it's really good to have all those processes. It's really helpful that we actually have a team of people that has built some really top-notch tooling for us to make managing this work a lot easier. We've got special command line tools for um, caretaking. Um, so what happens is like every week there's a new caretaker for the Angular team and that caretaker is responsible for merges and releases. So during that process, we have some cool CLI tools that we're able to use to like check to see what needs to be merged and to run the merge for us. And it like checks all of the branches and makes sure it's safe to merge and and so on. So it, it does make it quite a bit easier for us. We don't have to like manually click a merge button and then realize, oh, we want this to go in both main and the previous patch version and the next RC or whatever it may be, it figures it out for us based on a couple of labels that we put on the PR and then 
does all of the cherry picking and merging for us so we don't have to like deal with that stress. And we're really grateful that we have a, a, a group of people that maintain that. So I was just saying that uh, if nothing else, we'll, we'll proceed to the end of the podcast. So for Jessica, we have a structure of first we'll promote, like promotes means if you're doing something new, some, something awesome, we'll just tell about that. Then we'll go and have a picks. So in picks, you can pick any books, any stuff, any movie, any series, anything you like. Uh, okay. So, so I think we'll start with uh, Arman. Any any promotion? Any thing you have? I'm just gonna say the same thing I've been saying last four podcasts. Not yet, <laughs> but I have possibly something exciting up my sleeve. So I will just say that again. <laughs> Hopefully in several and, weeks I will get there. <laughs> yeah. Keep it up. And about what about you, Jesse? Um, I guess the, the the obvious promotion is, you know, go try out V16 and try out hydration. Let us know if you have any issues with it. Please file bugs. Please, when you file bugs, create a... Uh, like a reproduction for us that's critical for us to be able to address anything and um yeah i guess i i hope to see you at uh, an event at some point soon um and we're we're excited to see what you all make with with angular so that that's my promo yeah that's cool about me uh, again uh, i would like to promote my channel here like fun of heuristic so it's mostly uh, up on angular you guys go and check that one uh lately i'm i move i am in a vacation to india so all my gears and everything is in amsterdam so i'm not able to put any videos right now but soon i'll I'll try to put on the screen recording and put some video i have some pending videos already recorded but didn't have time to edit them so that's the promotion for me and i I started the picks again so i was just going through a book that i think is a famous one is grit uh vangela so it's saying about passion and perseverance and a lot of great stuff so please go and have a read if you get some time so do you have any picks for us jessica anything you like um probably nothing in the tech related area because uh yeah anything like uh, movies series cards games anything um i just have to say star trek the card season three was amazing i highly recommend watching it uh that was probably the highlight of my my recent weeks and uh i'm also very excited for the new ahsoka series uh, the star wars ahsoka series so those are those are my two picks what about you arman uh i i'm not really sure about uh whether what i'm going to talk about is readily available to consume, I don't know, but we have 
So our office arranged a, it's a bit tech related, but not, not exactly uh, arranged for us to attend. Well, it's a long running uh, training program for leadership and team leads, usually specific for, you know, tech related companies, but not, not everything there is just tech related. It's called Strata Plan. And I'm usually not that big of a fan of all those, you know, leadership trainings and stuff. But that that one was really good. They 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 used to have a company in Russia, but they moved. I think like five years or six years ago, they moved to Portugal. So it's essentially a Portuguese company, but they have different offices here and there. So they have a training that's just called Team, and it's usually for uh, IT team leads and stuff. And it was very interesting because it was uh, on a really uh, empathic level. Like it wasn't this corporate thing, but rather how to better understand people around you and how to sort of respect their boundaries and uh, also help others to understand each other better. How to understand if someone has problems inside your team without intruding or whatever. And it was really cool for me because uh, the they guys kept talking about uh, some sort of problems or some doubts that they had with their team. And then I would think, oh, you know, I had that, I had that with my team. I have seen that in my coworkers. Now I sort of understand better what could be the reasons for such situations and so on. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Strato Plan. I will try to find some useful links. They have they have a large blog with lots of this leadership related stuff. Yeah, I seem to enjoy it. So yeah, that's gonna be my pick for this week. Cool. I think we have reached the end of this podcast. I, this was a very informative discussion, Jessica. Like we learned a lot. I think we might go and try to give uh, generate some pull request and. Uh, all of us and who are li- listening from my side, I'm saying will remember to write tests. And that's really important. And yeah. So till next time, see you guys. Bye-bye.